0: I hope you were touched and moved by the time of praise and worship that we had this morning. And now we want to jump into the time of preaching, the time of growing in the Word of God. So open your Bibles to James chapter number 4. We're going to continue our series on genuine Christianity. And we've been learning so much about the practical side of the Christian life. One of the strengths that James has being that he was the first pastor in the church at Jerusalem uh, when the church first started. He was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, They shared, of course, the same mom, not the same father. Uh, And being that first pastor, he ran into a lot of things as the church was starting to develop. Uh, How are we going to do this? How is the church going to function? How are we going to move forward together? What's the purpose of the church? And how do we live this life that we call the Christian life? James was dealing with all of that. So when he writes this letter, he's writing at a time when many of the uh, people that were in his church had had to leave the city of Jerusalem. Persecution had come. They were persecuting Christians just because of what they believed, what they were teaching. And so James is saying, okay, you've gone out. You're no longer here. But I want to give you some truths on how you to live now all right, wherever you may be at, because God has taken you there, we want to make sure that, uh, or I want, as your pastor, make sure uh, he's saying that you're living every day how God wants you to live, how he intended you to live the Christian life. And so this whole book is about just having genuine faith, truly living what your faith says, all right, what the Word of God teaches, because how many of us know today that There are many that profess to be a Christian, but their life does not reflect that. There are many that can be what I call social media Christians, right? You can post things and it sounds really nice, and yet uh, when you get to know the real person, when you see uh, their life at home and the relationships in their lives, you come to find that what they're posting really isn't lining up with what they're living, and James was seeing that even back then, before social media, he was saying, I've, I've known and I've seen that there's a lot of people that they talk one way, they walk a different way. And so he writes this letter trying to help us, even today, uh, how we can be sure that we're living our faith. It's a genuine, real faith. In chapter one, we learned that our faith should have a perspective to it. And so he really focuses on, What is the perspective that you have in life, and how does that look like when you filter it through the faith in God? Second chapter, he talks about our practice, all right? What does your practice look like? He says you ought to have a walk that people see that is different, and by walk, I don't mean physically walking the way you're taking your steps, but rather the way you're living, okay, daily with God. And then chapter three, he talks about the power of our faith. Where does that power lie, and that is in our tongue, how we use, what we talk about. The the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God. The message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God. But it's our tongue that communicates that power, that shares that. And so when chapter 2, he's saying, this is how your walk should be. In chapter 3, James is saying, this is how your talk should be. When you get to chapter number four, and what we're going to start this morning, is on looking at the passion of our faith, the passion of our faith. You know that the Christian life is often a life of passion. Now, passion is defined, at least in Webster's Dictionary, as a strong liking or desire for or devotion to some activity, object, or concept. Usually, when we think about the word passion, that's how we think of it something you love, but it's more than just love, right? It's more than just like liking something. You know, you, you might be um, someone that likes music, but maybe are not passionate about music. That means you'll turn on the radio when you're in the car, but you're not going to, you know, have your earbuds on 24-7. But the person that's passionate might. Right The person that's passionate has like earphones all the time. I see um, young people that are really passionate about their music, and, and they're always having their, their earbuds on or whatever, and, and they're using it. And they don't just want to know the song. they want to know the background, like who the author was and what was going on in their life when they wrote this song, and how they come up with that melody. And you know, that, that, someone that's passionate wants to know all of that, right? And James says, "Listen. Passion is a fact of life. It's an emotion that God has given us. It's a good thing. But he said, when it comes to your faith, how passionate are you? You know, the the Bible is full of passion. It really is. When you read through the Bible, you find those of you that have been in church uh, like I have all of your life, uh, you can think of the stories of the Bible and you see people of passion, right? Uh, you, You see people like David. Right? He was just a shepherd boy, but he had a passion for God. God used him to defeat a giant. He used him to lead a nation, uh, the nation of Israel to be the greatest nation on earth while he was the king. Um, his passion was unbelievable for the things of God. Uh, then you look at someone like uh, Moses, who had a, a passion for God, and, and God took him from the, the shepherd fields as well to lead the people out of Egypt, the greatest empire of his day you you look at a passion like of a man named elijah uh that uh for three years it didn't rain because he went to talk to the king and said because of you king god's not bringing rain and he won't give us rain until i say so as a passion that he walked with god he's just all throughout the bible you find these people that had a passion for god it's amazing you find passages that are full of passion the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, So Whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. You, you find in Psalm 116, uh, he says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The Bible's full of passion. So James feeding off of that begins to think about, now, what are you passionate about? I know we all have different tastes and different likes and dislikes, but when it comes to your faith, that thing that ought to control every area of your life, James says, how passionate are you of that? He had just finished talking about peace, right, at the end of chapter 3. And now he's talking about passion. Now I want you to notice chapter 4, verse number 1. Look, if you will, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, uh, the words are on the screens. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust." And have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James simply says this when it comes to your passion, notice what it can do. Because there's good passions in life. And there are bad passions in life. He's saying, you want to know where wars and arguments and disputes come from? It comes from passions. But a misplaced passion. A a, a passion that's not really focused on what it should be focused on. See, even though the Bible is full of stories of passion and passages of passion, there are also stories in the Bible of people that misplaced or had the wrong passion in their life. For instance, Samson, man, he had a passion to kind of please himself in life. Everything was kind of like a joke to him. God had given him this unbelievable strength, this unbelievable ability. And what did he do with it? He used it on himself. And at the end, when he, he is now blind because his eyes have been plucked out and he's not as strong as he once was because they cut his hair. He begins to now get back and repent and look for God. And, and God answers his one request to have strength again so that he can judge the Philistines. But in doing so, he also says this. He says, now God, I don't want to continue living. Just let me die with the Philistines. His passion literally took him to suicide because his passion was all about him it's all about himself you know when it comes to the first king king saul you find the same thing at first he starts off as a good king and he has some passion for god but later it begins to get to his head and things begin to change in his life and suddenly you find saul saying this very same thing his passion leads him to take his own life why live? I, I can't have the disgrace of them capturing me. I can't have the disgrace of losing this. I, I, just, I just take my life. You know, when our passion is in the wrong place in our life, it leads to all kinds of trouble. A wrong passion can lead to all kinds of fightings and wars and disputes and arguments in your life. This was something that James was seeing in his church. He was saying, man, I, I've noticed this about our church. There's a lot of disputings. And it's all because of a wrong passion that we have. And if we don't get the right passion in our life, if we don't have the right passion for our faith, we'll never experience the victory, the joy that comes with being a Christian. You just won't. So it's so important to ask yourself, where is my passion? In my faith what is the passion that i have for my faith well, we're going to dig into what james says about that but before we do let's pray and ask god to guide us as we study his word father we thank you this morning because you have been so good to us you have provided all of our needs you have been so good in not just providing our needs but even giving us our wants you've been so good into allowing us to come to your house this morning And now, as we talk about this thing of passion, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. Help us to understand what passion is, but more importantly this morning, help us to have passion, to live with passion for our faith, because it's a wonderful faith. It's it's the secret to having that joy that comes with being a Christian. So I pray this morning that you would speak to us in a special way. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Three results of having a wrong passion, of putting your passion in the wrong place instead of putting it in your faith, putting it in a different place. What happens? Well, number one, I want you to notice that James says that the wrong passion in our life will take away our peace. In verse number one, he starts with, from whence cometh wars? Right? And fightings among you, where does that come from? Come they not even from your lust that war in your members? Uh, James is starting with this interesting question Where where did these disputes come from? Where does fighting come from? Uh, One way you could say is quarrels. I know we don't really use that anymore in our language, but you know, these arguments constantly. Where does that come from? He says, from a wrong passion in your life. The wrong passion. Passion in your life will take away the peace that should be in your life. Uh, when we, uh, I, What we love and what we de- uh, devote ourselves to really defines what we're passionate about. But as I said, passion is a two-edged sword. All right, It can bring the greatest joy in your life or it can bring the greatest devastations of your life. Just depending where you're putting your passion to what you're devoting yourself to, what you're giving yourself over to. If your passions are all about you, then it's going to bring a lot of disputes. You're going to lose a lot of your peace. You're not going to have that that calm assurance that you could have in life. You're always going to be doubting. You're always going to be wondering. You're, you're, you're just never going to have what God wants to give you when it comes to peace. It's going to be something that really takes away that peace. In fact, we find that, first of all, it takes away the peace that you can have with others. James says, among you. These fightings that you have among you. He said, that comes from having your passion in the wrong place when we have that wrong passion it takes us out of fellowship with others we can't uh no longer understand uh, others we're not really patient with others we no longer love one another we 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 just kind of get accustomed to this life of just fighting life of like gossip talk about bad about this person they talk bad about me and that's just kind of that's just how it is and james says that's all a result of having a passion that's really focused on you, devoting all of your life to be around you. It's like you put yourself on the throne of your life and then you feel like everything should revolve around me. And if it doesn't make me happy, and if you don't see the way I see it, don't even talk to me. And James says, see, that's the wrong, you're putting your passion in the wrong thing. Sometimes we want to put passion not just on ourselves, sometimes we want to put passion in something like a job. Now, we all need to have jobs. Jobs helps provide for food on the table and, of course, things that we need for life to go on. But when your passion is there in your job, you'll, you'll find that so there, there are people that just give everything to their work. And in the process, lose everything that matters. I've seen men devote themselves to their jobs so much that they lose their children, and they have no relationship with their children. In fact, anytime they're with their children, they're always fighting. I've seen people devote themselves so much to money that it begins to give them a reputation of just being greedy all the time. They're, they're no longer sharing what God has given them. They're, they're just... Like the shovel just, or the claw there. It's just, what can I get for me? Just the backhoe to bring it all back this way. A wrong passion. A wrong passion takes you away from any kind of peace in your life. And you're no longer able to have peace with others. Uh, We find that in Genesis chapter 37. In the life of Joseph. Joseph was his dad's favorite. He was... One of the youngest of the uh, 12 brothers there. He's number 11 out of 12. And and we find that Joseph was one that his brothers could no longer speak peaceably to him. Because his brothers lived all about them. They wanted everything. And you can read in chapter 36 and you can read in chapter 38. We don't have time in, in the book of Genesis right now to go over it. But you can read about them and it was all about them. Literally so life was all about what they wanted to do and and very self-centered they couldn't they couldn't even talk peaceably to joseph uh, we see this sometimes played out in church there's a disagreement about programs or there's a disagreement about preferences and we we lose our sense of family we we look at those who differ from us as something that they're suddenly our enemy you know because they wanted white chairs because these, these grayish blue things, they don't go. I don't know who picked them up. And it's like, whoa, whoa. But where do those kind of disputings come from? And and listen, if you haven't been in church long, you'd be amazed to hear some of the stories I've heard about churches. Churches dividing over like church colors and whether they have pews or chairs. And, and you know, you you can look on the outside looking in and go, does it really matter as long as we have somewhere to sit, right? I mean, isn't that what's important? But what happens is that there's this feeling and there's this passion that's placed in the wrong uh, area of their life. And whether it's because it's all about them or because it's all about some something they've set up in their life, some idol that they devote themselves to, it takes peace away from others but a wrong uh, passion in your life not only will take away the peace that you can have with others it'll take away the peace that you can have with yourself he says in the second part uh, come they not hence even your lusts that were in your members he says, look not only are you having no peace with other people but also with you because it's in your members you don't even have peace about yourself you no longer feel a calmness and satisfaction within yourself. Not only are you not getting along with other people, you're not even getting along with yourself. This is the way that Paul said it. In Romans chapter 7, he was kind of talking about this. In verse 23, And you notice he says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Here's simply what Paul was saying. He's saying, you know, I have a battle all the time uh, where... My mind is saying, I should be this way, I should do this, but I find that the flesh, man, it's always there. It's always wanting my passion. This, this idea, there's something in me that says, hey, you're somebody, you should have what you want. Hey, uh, people should see and do things that you want. That, there's a passion in here, or at least there's a flesh in here that wants that passion. And if you want to give your flesh that passion, that love, that's what it leads you to. It leads you to fighting with everybody, and it leads you to take away any kind of peace that you can have in your own life. There are many that live their life with no peace, not because life is just so difficult for them. More than anything, it's because they place their passion in something that takes away their peace. Uh, when you have a wrong passion in your life, It will hurt you personally as well. There's a saying that we say in English, hurting people hurt people. Maybe you've heard that. And the idea is this. The idea is because something happened to me, right, then maybe I'll lash out at somebody else. Because someone misunderstood me, I'll misunderstand them. Because someone told me this, then I'm going to tell someone else who has nothing to do with the situation, I'm going to take it out on them. This happens all the time, right? Maybe a dad that's not really happy about what's happening at their job, but they can't afford to lose their job. So whenever the boss says something, even though they hate that the boss is doing that and saying that, they won't say nothing, but then they go home and they'll take it out on their wife. They'll take it out on their kids. Why? Because there's no peace in here. Because they've given their passion to something that does not satisfy, to something that really takes away their peace. The wrong passion in our life takes away our peace. Our peace. But notice, secondly, that the wrong passion in our life will take away our pleasure. So James says, when it comes to passion, passion can cause disputing and wars among you and in you. But number two, he says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. The wrong passion will take away your pleasure. What I mean by pleasure here is the delight. Of life, the joy of life, the, the the satisfaction in life, right? It takes it away. And, and there's a progression that James talks about here. Um, because our passion desires to be satisfied, when you put that passion in the wrong place, you lose any and all satisfaction and pleasure, all of delight. You You, you lose it all because that's what passion does, right? When you give your passion to something, what you're hoping in return is number one, peace that we talked about, but also delight, joy, pleasure. Okay, now, I'm not talking about wrong pleasure. There is a wrong pleasure that the Bible talks about. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about that uh, when I say that it robs you of your pleasure. I'm talking about the godly joy that you should have. But here, James is saying, ye lust. He's talking about that that wrong pleasure, right, that wrong passion. He says it takes away any delight, so you lose what you delight in. In verse one, he uses the word lust. In verse two, he uses the word lust. Now, in English, of course, we translate it in both, lust. But in Greek, they're actually two different words. And in verse number one, he's talking, it's the Greek word hedone, where we get the word hedonism. It's like a sensual delight. In verse number two, though, it's the Greek word epithemeo, which means a long for a desire. So, so here's what what James is saying. When you have a wrong passion, and you're putting your passion, your your love in in just what uh, your uh, what your lusts want when it comes to your sensual delight, like the pleasures of this world, he said, then you're going to lead. It's going to lead you to have no peace within you, and it's going to ha- lead you to have no peace with others. He said. But then, here's the thing with passion is that then you can also try to put your passion in something that you want, that you're longing for. And that's what that second lust means. When he says in verse number two, ye lust and have not, he's saying you're longing for something, you desire something, and you can't get it. The wrong passion, when when, 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 when passion is placed in the wrong area of your life, in something that cannot give you peace, you'll find that it's also something that cannot really give you joy. It robs you of calmness and satisfaction in your life, and it, calms, it robs you of any kind of joy in your life. That's why Paul said in First Timothy chapter 6, I put this in your notes, but they that, that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many Sorrows, Paul said, you know what? They had a passion for the wrong thing. The love of money. They put their passion behind money. And you know what happened? They lost any kind of peace they had in their life and they lost any kind of pleasure. They found that all the money in the world can't make you happy. All the money in the world won't give you a great marriage. All the money in the world won't give you a great family life. It just won't. Paul says, "There are some that put their passion behind that. They've lost it. They've lost it. In fact, he says, they've been pierced through with many sorrows. They lose their delight. Secondly, they lose what they desire. He says, the next phrase, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Now, that's a very strong word, kill. He's not talking about literally. He didn't know people in his church that were going and stabbing people or shooting people to kill them. That's not what he's saying. But if you remember his half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, our Lord and Savior, he taught this. He said, if you hate somebody in your heart, then it's like murder. Murder is that hate that you have in your heart towards someone. So James is trying to make a really strong point here when he uses the word kill. He says, here's what the wrong passion in your life will lead you to do. It'll lead you to hate. Not only will you have no more joy in your life, you can't really delight in anything, but now you lose that that desire that your passion wants to give you. He said, you, 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 you begin to hate. and You desire to have something, but you cannot obtain it. You cannot find to keep that. And then the next step in this progression is that you lose, lose what you strive for. So, so you want something, you can't get it. You kill, you hate then because of that, and you still can't get it. And then he, he says, then you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You lose what you're striving for. By the end of the cycle, you find that you're still fighting. There's still animosity. You still have no peace, and now you have no pleasure in life. You feel like life's not worth living. You don't want to move on. You don't want to go and do anything. It's just this endless cycle that takes you nowhere. It only brings animosity and fighting in your life. And So even though you want to be at peace, you can't find it. Even though you want to have joy in your life, you never can experience it because your passion's just in the wrong place. Kind of like what Haggai said in Haggai chapter 1, verse number 6. When the people of Israel were not following what God had commanded them to do, notice what the prophet said. He said, Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. And yeah, he said, man, you're trying to get all these things that you just can't grab. You're thinking money will do it. You're thinking clothes, you're doing it. You think position will do it. You think success will bring it. And James says, listen, you can be passionate about all those things and give yourself and devote yourself to all of that, and you'll just find you'll live a life without peace, and you'll have no pleasure in it. You'll have no joy. Because your passion is in the wrong place. Kind of reminds me of the story. I don't know if you like Greek mythology at all, but remember King Midas? If you've ever heard that story, King Midas was a king that uh, lived in Phrygia, was the uh, city, and uh, one of the uh, the gods that he worshipped in this Greek mythology story was uh, Dios, Dionysus, I think is his name, Dionysus. I don't know how to pronounce it, something like that. And Dionysus said to King Midas, he said, listen, because you've, been so faithful and you treated one of my servants so well he said i i want to give you any wish that you want what would you wish for and king midas was one that was very greedy and his passion was in gold and he told uh, dionysus the god he said i want you to grant me the wish that whatever i touch becomes gold When he gets home, he touches his table and turns to gold and he was so excited and then he touched the chairs and they were gold and then he went to some of the decor and and he touched them and and they turned into gold and he was so excited and so happy about what he could do with his touch. And he was so enthralled by that that he didn't notice that his daughter had come in. His daughter was so excited to see him that she came to hug him and before he could really react in any way His arms came around her and turned her right into gold. Being distraught at the fact that he could turn anything to gold, his biggest desire turned into his biggest nightmare. He goes back to the god, Dionysus, and asks him to reverse everything, and he does. And the lesson that he learned was, hey, sometimes your passion and what you desire can really be the thing that's killing you if it's the wrong desire the wrong passion. James is talking to those that he loves, those that he wants to live the real Christian life and experience all that God wants for them. And he says, just let me tell you something. The passion of your faith is so important because if you put your passion into something else other than your faith, you'll find that it'll take away your peace from you. You'll find it'll take away the pleasure of life, the joy of life. And then notice lastly this morning in verse number three that the wrong passion will will take away your prayer. James shares that having the wrong passion in our life will limit us to prayers that go unanswered. He says you'll find that you'll begin to pray selfishly. He says in verse number three, ye ask and receive not. The word prayer literally means to ask. In chapter 1 and verse number 5, he said, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God. In other words, pray and God will give you that wisdom. But now look at the prayer that a person that has put their passion in everything else except their faith, what happens? They suddenly don't want to pray. Or they begin to pray very selfishly. He said, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss you ask wrong you, you ask in a way that is just selfishly asking you see in desperation of not having peace in our lives and not having pleasure in what we're doing and saying we resort to the idea that maybe we just need to pray more to god but the problem is when you start praying you start praying prayers of selfishness You start praying well, god give me this that's what i it's what i deserve it's what i need that's what I want. Begin to look at God like some genie in a bottle. Like, give me, give me my three wishes now. And when he doesn't, we think, oh, you see, God's not faithful. God's not good. Yeah, yeah, he answers their prayers. I, I see that he blessed them with something new. But where's my new one? Where's my new toy? Where's my new thing in life? Where's my new promotion? That's to see, I don't answer prayers just out of selfish ambition. I don't answer and give someone a million dollars just because they ask me for a million dollars. Yeah, does God have a million, billion dollars? Yeah, he does. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything that this world has and has ever been created. He created it. He owns it. He owns this whole universe. Can he give you or me a million dollars tomorrow? Absolutely. But how come when we pray, can I have a million dollars, he doesn't give it to us? Because you're asking selfishly. The million that you want is it so you can now live it up for yourself. God says, that's that's not how you ask. That's not according to a passion that is after me. That's not a passion of your faith. That's a passion of your greed. You begin to pray selfishly when your passion's in the wrong place, and then you begin to pray wrongfully. You said you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. You want it for you. You don't you don't do it for God's glory. You're no longer asking for God's glory, you're, you're asking for your glory. The passion of your faith doesn't lead you to say, hey God, if you would just do something in our church, if you just do something in my mom's life or in my dad's life, or if you would just do something in my co-worker's life, God, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it change. Not so they can say how great of a worker I am. No, 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 just, just so I can see something different that I know that you're there. I would love it to go to work and, 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 and suddenly that, that co-worker that was always cussing and always tempted me to do the wrong thing is now saying, hey man, I'm glad you're here. It's a great day to be at work, right? Hey, hey, can I eat lunch with you so we can pray together? You see, what I'm asking for, God, is just to see you in a greater way. That you might have glory. That your kingdom might be moved forward and further when our passion is not in our faith, it takes away any kind of prayer like that. We begin to pray for honor for ourselves and positions for ourselves, but no longer for God's glory. It was happening in Micah's day, the prophet Micah put it there in your notes, chapter three in verse number one. Micah told the people of his day, yeah, yeah, you're asking, but you're, you're praying for the wrong things. He said, here I pray you, O heads of Jacob and ye princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron? Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Micah said, passion's in the wrong place. And when the consequences come, you think that the answer is, well, God, if you can just take me out of this so that I can do this now. I'm not going to hear that. because they're still praying for your glory. God said it doesn't work that way. A true passion in our faith will lead us to pray right. It'll lead us to have real joy in life. It'll lead us to really experience what being at peace is all about. Being at peace with, in ourselves, being at peace with others having the right kind of passion, a passion for our faith. So the question this morning is, where's your passion? Putting passion in the wrong place can bring all the wrong consequences. Putting passion, our love, devoting ourselves to a faith that is real, oh, wow, how beautiful it is. How wonderful life can be. So my challenge is really simple this morning. Let's have a passion for God this week. A passion for what our faith teaches us to do in the various circumstances of life. What our faith teaches us to be in our marriages. What our faith teaches us to be when it comes to being a parent or a grandparent. What we should talk about and what we should say and do. Let's have a passion for our faith and devote ourselves to something that really is matters, something that really brings joy. C.T. Studd was a man that perhaps you've heard about, perhaps not, but born in 1860, he grew up to be one of the great cricket players of all of England. Because of that, he was very well off. He had a lot of money. His dad also being a successful businessman gave him a pretty big inheritance, but Somewhere around his teenage years, C.T. Studd and his household came to hear about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. His dad got saved through a revival by a man by the name of Dwight Moody, Dwight L. Moody. And because of that, his dad's life changed. They begin to have different pastors in their home. They begin to, to really be, get passionate about God and the things of God. And his dad was just a, a great um, inspiration to him in that. Well, for a few years, CT says that he had a little bit of a passion for God, but not a great passion, not a great love where he devoted himself. And in fact, he, he really liked cricket. But getting to college and playing and doing what he was doing, he he began to understand that it was robbing him. This game that he played so well that brought him so much fame and wealth was robbing him of peace. It was robbing him of any kind of pleasure of life. He wasn't as happy as he was before and the prayers in his life, he says, were not the same. But one day, being confronted about the passions of his life and realizing that his passion wasn't in the right place, it wasn't for Christ, it wasn't for the things of God, he made a decision to change his life and to change where his passions were going to be. And he gave himself wholly to God. And he decided, I'm not going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to live the way that God wants me to live. I'm not going to live for what I can get in this life, but for what God wants for me to do in this life. He ended up getting most of his wealth and giving it away. Part of it went to George Mueller, a man that had an orphanage there in England, one of the biggest orphanages in the country and he gave him a considerable amount of money and began to give his wealth away to different churches and different missionaries that were in need and as he was doing that god began to work in his heart and said, ct i want you to go to the mission field and he ended up going to china for a few years and serving god there and then god took him to india later in his life and then near the end of his life god called him to africa and he died in 1931 no money, no more inheritance, in a jungle somewhere there in Africa where his wife had died just two years before. Something that happened in C.T. Studd's life was that he gave his passion to something that really mattered. If you've ever heard the words, one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last, that was C.T. Studd that said that. But the quote I wanted to share with you was the quote that he said when he said, The light that shines farthest, shines brightest, nearest home. This morning, the passion that you have in here, in your heart for the faith of the gospel, is either going to impact you and bring you the peace that you so much long for, and the pleasure and the joy of life, or to rob you from it can be the thing that shines most that others see. Or it can be something that no one ever sees. The question this morning is, where's your passion? Is it shining bright? Is your passion a, a fire that all can see as it burns? Or is it not? I just want to encourage you today live this week with passion not in our jobs not in our families, not in our good works with a passion for God and for the faith that we have in our life let's just see what God can do let's pray, Father thank you so much for your word and for your truth Father we've been challenged in these short verses to think about the passion of our faith And think about what the consequences of not having our passion in the right place brings. And as James teaches us, it brings nothing but contentions and fightings. Robs us of our peace that we could have even within ourselves. A wrong passion, Father, we've learned that we can lust, long for, and not obtain. We desire, but we cannot get we find ourselves once again just fighting and in animosity over and over again and then father we think by just turning to you that you'll just answer anything that we ask oh but father we ask amiss we ask not with a passion for our faith to grow or for for you to be glorified but rather we ask so that we can get out of the problem we're in or that we might be glorified in some way and promoted and seen and honored and how wrong that is and so father I pray that you would help us even this morning to have a passion for you passion for the faith that you have given unto us a passion that this world needs to see so that we might be able to impact another life help us to live a life truly is devoted to you. Help us to apply that throughout this week. Help us to have that passion of faith that leads us to live our faith in our marriage and in our everyday life, in our everyday decisions. What we think about and what we do, what we talk about and who we listen to and what we listen to. Father, may this passion be something that drives us and leads us. To a life that glorifies you above all and honors you above all things so lead us i pray in jesus precious name amen